You are now listening to the Here for the Truth podcast, hosted by Joel Rafidi and Eurosimos. What's up, everybody? Welcome back to the Here for the Truth podcast. I'm Joel Rafidi. Got my co-host Eurosimos in the house. Today, we have Google whistleblower Zach Voorhees joining us for a wild conversation. This dude has experienced some shit. Uh, that's that's for sure, you know, um, from from blowing the whistle on Google and walking out with 950 plus pages of documents to experiencing a shooting at, huge, at YouTube headquarters. Definitely want to hang around for this conversation. Um, right before we get into that, the one thing I really want to highlight right now is just, you know, our incredible community. Friends of the Truth is the membership community of this podcast here for the truth. Um, you know, the people in there are just incredible. So shout out to everyone of our members that are listening right now. Just real, raw, honest, occasionally hilarious conversations <laughs> take place in that Telegram chat. And plus getting getting to hang out, you know, three times a month, community call with us, um, a live Q&A with a previous podcast guest um, also with us, and a live teaching um, as well, a live teaching presentation on various subjects. There's now 30 hours plus of teachings and Q&As, which all new members get access to when they join. Um, and obviously, three new calls per month as well. You can see the upcoming call schedule at friendsofthetruth.co and also see the backlog of calls available. Um, and it's incredible value at only you know $39 per month as well. So if you feel the call to you know come connect with community, so to get to know us and us to get to know you, and for us all to hang out in an awesome, safe space with honestly the best people, you know, I mean that, um, then Friends of the Truth is something that you might be interested in. Guys, thanks for listening. Thanks for the support. And without any further ado, here is episode 131. All right, everybody, welcome back to the Here for the Truth podcast. We have an awesome guest with us here today. We have Zach Voorhees. I hope I've pronounced that correctly. Um, he was a senior software engineer at YouTube and Google for eight and a half years. And he was involved with the following software products being Google Earth, YouTube for PS4, Xbox, Nintendo Switch. And while working at YouTube, he learned that Google was censoring quote unquote fake news and investigated further into the company only to find that not only had Google defined fake news to mean actual events that had happened, but also had created an artificial intelligence system to classify all available data to Google search. The reason Google wanted to classify data was so that this could be used by their artificial intelligence system to re-e-rank the entire internet according to Google's corporate and cultural values. In June 2019, he resigned from Google. He took with him 950 plus pages of Google's internal documents and delivered them to the Department of Justice and through Project Veritas to inform the public and Google's extensive censorship system. He's since gone on to author the book, Google Leaks, a whistleblower's expose of big tech censorship. Zach, welcome to Here for the Truth. Hi. Uh, thank you for having me on, Joel. <laughs> Absolute pleasure, man. Um, as our listeners know, one way we always like to kick this one off with first-time guests is like, Diving deep into your hero's journey, you know, the major catalyzing moments in your life that I guess really transformed you. Obviously, there's a key one, which I just brought up in, in your bio. But like, what, do you think there were earlier events or something in your upbringing that actually led you or primed you to, you know, make the stand that you did when push came to shove in this particular situation? 
Um, yeah, I always kind of thought that, um, like if the Nazis ever came to America, I would be one of the ones that would stand up to them. And, um, and I thought that most of the people had that similar mindset, but, um, when Google started doing their evil things, um, I realized that I just couldn't sit by and idly let it happen. And surprisingly, uh, not everyone is built that way for some reason. Um, you know, most people just sort of like whatever happens, uh, they kind of go along with the narrative. Mm-hmm. And I've always been sort of like an anti-collectivist. Like I think that whatever people are into, it's it's wrong, it's dumb, that they're being misled. Um, and to my surprise, everyone just sort of went along with this uh, artificial intelligence censorship system. Um, and they thought that it was pretty much a good idea, especially because everyone else sort of thought that it was a good idea. Kind of a weird magic trick that they play. Like they state their intentions, they do it openly, uh, they talk about it, and then it becomes normalized. And you feel like you're the odd one out if you're, you know, got reservations against this, you know, totalitarian AI system that's being rolled out to the public. But, uh, you know, I, I believe that I'm actually in the minority within the company that had objections, or at least the people that would have had objections were, you know, gently nudged out of the company into other companies. So, um, you know, I don't really know what's different about me, but I just know that I am different than most other people. Yeah, got you. Yeah, you have to be in order to uh, to go through that process. Uh, what inspired you to join Google in the first place? Um, you know, I was actually working at LucasArts, uh, working on the Indiana Jones and Star Wars games. Um, and uh, I applied to Google and uh, made it through the interview and uh, was able to get this job. I actually had another opportunity to work for Palantir when they were very, very, very early. Um, I would have actually been loaded rich if I had gone ahead and uh, taken that job. Uh, unfortunately, I didn't want to take it because um, it just seemed evil. Like, you know what Palantir does? No, I, I don't know. They're like one of the largest defense uh, contractors. Their uh, computer systems run the CIA, mm-hmm. um, which is the running joke. And um, And... What they had developed and that they showed me was a social was this was a social system, um, social media system, except the people that were on the social media system weren't there voluntarily, uh, right? Like Facebook, you go and you sign in, you give them all your information where in this one, uh, there's information coming from uh, data sources that the defense uh, industry uh, collects, phone records, whatever. And then they put your information into Palantir's database. And then they can use this system to figure out what your social network is, who you talk to, who your friends are. And um, and so I, you know, I looked at that and I said, that is just absolutely freaking evil. Um, and I right now I work for a company, Google, you know, this is what I was saying back then, that uh is uh redeeming corporate you know, giants. And I wanted to stay within that ecosystem because I wanted to stay in a company that was aligned with my personal goals. <laughs> How wrong I was, you know, um, to see Google actually betray 
all of their values, uh, don't be evil, and to organize the world's information and make it universally accessible and useful, which is something that they put forth when they went IPO, right? They had this contract that said that we're not going to be evil. We're going to we're going to be great corporate stewards of the common good, um, which they turned around and then violated once the wrong presidential candidate was democratically elected into office. So, like, do you think that this plan was capitalized and initiated by Trump's election, or do you think this was being formulated prior to that? It was being formulated prior to Trump's election. Trump just sort of set the trigger for this thing to be unleashed. But it was a long time coming. This system itself was not, you know, started within Google. Um, this machine learning fairness was a project that was started in Stanford and then moved into Google. And once it, you know, seeded in Google, it started to take over a lot of the different projects that they had. Um, there are different information corpuses like Google Search. Uh, YouTube, Google News, um, this thing got unrolled and it actually started to get unrolled during the uh, 2016 election. Um, there's this very famous meeting that the company had one week after Trump got elected in which they were lamenting the election. And uh, towards the end of the meeting, one of the employees during the Q&A section asked uh, the CEO, Sundar Pichai, what was one of the you know, one of the successful things that Google did during the election. And Senator Pachai replied to him that it was the use of machine learning in order to censor fake news, which was my first clue. Like when I saw that, I was like, well, wait a minute, we're censoring fake news. Well, who defines what fake news is? Yeah. Thus leading on to the rabbit hole that I started to go down to figure out what exactly Google was censoring. Mm hmm. Can you just for those listening, I guess, define or give us a bit of like a backstory into exactly what machine learning fairness is? Yeah. So machine learning fairness is sort of a Marxian term for uh, algorithmic censoring of the entire freaking internet. Um, and what it does is it it's it's calibrated to, to it's calibrated by you know, the employees of Google uh, with training data to figure out what's fake news and what's not fake news. Uh, what is biased results and what are unbiased results. And uh, what's really interesting is that there was this paper within Google that was called something along the lines of uh, definitions of algorithmic unfairness. And in this paper, they were asking like, you know, what are the limits of, you know, what we can do to interfere? And one of the questions in there was, you know, can something that would be, you know, factually accurate be uh, considered algorithmic unfairness? To which the question was, yes. And the example was, you know, let's assume that someone did a Google image search for uh, male CEO or uh, CEOs. And most of the results that popped up were men. Now, despite the fact that that would be factually accurate, it would reinforce existing gender stereotypes and thus be subject for rebiasing uh, by their algorithm in order to make a more you know equitable uh, you know statement about you know the way that the world is. Even though that it's not factually accurate, or even though it is factually accurate, it's still considered algorithmic unfairness 
and subject to product intervention in order to control. And so, you know, they're using this system in order to find different ways that there's, you know, bias out there in the internet and then, you know, raise it up. Um, you know, one of the interesting sort of clownish examples of this where if, if you go into Google image search and you type in, um, you know, American physicists or American scientists or American engineers, it was mostly giving you, you know, back black people, uh, overwhelming majority of all the scientists and engineers that are being represented on uh, Google image search. Um, you can also do the same thing. There's like this really creepy thing where if you go and try to find, um, you know, go to Google image search, type in a uh, white woman with a white, with a white man or white husband. And you'll see that it's like mostly interracial couples. Um, and if you try to do the same thing where it's like, um, you know, black woman with black man, you'll get pretty much black woman and black man. But it seems that the social justice terms that we're being exposed to, you know, whether it's, uh, you know, racism, um, you know, perpetrated by white people, you know, uh, that for some reason is being embodied in the re search results that the re at the, the returning at all of these different levels from Google search, from Google image search, from YouTube. Um, this system is in place in order to um, re-bias and present a different version of the world to us. So, you know, it's everywhere now. All of Google's products pretty much have this um, censorship uh, system. And it's not just like one, like, oh, some master algorithm. It's more of a technique uh, in the way that machine learning is utilized. It's not just like this one sh one trick pony. It's a system in which you introduce training data into a data lake. And this data lake is then used to train an algorithm that grows into the data, if you can imagine. Once that grows into the data, then it's able to uh, be exposed to novel pieces of information. And with those novel pieces of information, it's able to make decisions and classifications. Once those classifications are assigned to different pieces of data, documents, images, uh, text, what have you, uh, then it goes through a re-ranking system within the company. Um, and that determines like whether it shows up first in the um, you know YouTube search page or whether it shows on the back pages, right? Whether it even shows up at all within the Google you know search, which is the most important thing because that's what we were using at least up until ChatGPT, in order to access all of our information. Um, and so, you know, this is, uh, that's, you know, very vitally important for a country's, you know, basis of reality, right? Like your search engine is how you are able to find information, what's true. And now what they're doing is that they're trying to shut that off so that we get, you know, Google's corporate values imposed on us as we try to access information. Yeah. At, at what point did like um, these political leanings begin to become heavily, you know, influenced or infiltrated within within Google's direction? You know, like I'm I'm, I'm curious as to when they started shifting that um, way. So it's funny is that like even in 2008 they were doing this thing called unconscious race bias testing which you took a computer program and it was like telling you like, how unconsciously biased are you? 
And I just sort of laughed that off, thinking, oh, that's ridiculous. What are they up to now? But um, now that I look back at that, I see that uh, that was sort of like the seed to like make everyone think that they were, you know, secretly racist or, you know, that they had unconscious bias and that they're like, oh, how do we get rid of bias? How do we get rid of bias? Right. And it was this, you know, it was this mantra of the company, uh, how to get rid of bias. And then, you know, when they flipped and they become, they became totally biased. Um, and that was considered like a good thing. Right. And so uh, it kind of like crept in slowly and, I'm not entirely sure how, how we switched so quickly. I mean, it, you know what? It was the 2016 election. If Hillary had won, uh, I think that they would still hold the mantra of being unbiased um, rather than of something of like, well, it's time to rebias the internet. And what, what's really funny is that they still hold their mission statement of organizing the world's information and making it universally accessible and useful, despite the fact that they've drifted very far away from that. Yeah, they're organizing how they want it to be organized. Um, what what do you think is the ultimate agenda behind all of this? You know, that started however long ago. Um, look, here's the ultimate agenda. There's, there's like, and this is my opinion. Mm-hmm. Um, you, you ever read this uh, this old book, uh, Bell's Curve, or something like that, about like the different um intelligence like abilities of different races well there there's two races that sort of come out on top and right now what we see is we see that those two races are sort of like the dominating races uh within the world um and i think that what's happening is that um artificial intelligence is about to take over um and what's going to happen is that intelligence and labor are going to be commoditized and automated. And we're going to move from a human-centric economy to a AI machine-centered economic system in which most people are going to be invalidated and become obsolete. And I think that the elites are kind of like planning for all this to sort of happen. And so what they've done is they've put themselves on a transition path in order to get um, you know this new economic system in place. Unfortunately. Um, this whole messy democracy thing, they don't want that. Um, they want rule by divine right. And it's my belief that, uh, the system is being intentionally broken. Our capitalist model, um, our democracy, um, it's going to be continually to be hit over and over and over again until the whole thing, uh, sort of falls down. Right now, I think that the different global elites are working together because their their immediate concern is their own domestic challenges to their rule uh, within the United States is and within China, right? Like China is now a one party state. Um, and so in the short to medium term, they're going to be consolidating their power, sort of like doing friction, you know, oh, we're going to go to war and uh, scaring the population so that they can have that domestic takeover. Later, once that's been shored up, um, I think that 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 basically the the top families are essentially going to go uh, to war to figure out who is the undisputed world champion of the world, right? Like someone's got to sit on the throne of the planet. Game of Thrones. Um, what? Game of yeah, Thrones. It's Game of Thrones. Yeah, someone's got to sit there. And if you look at it from a highly rational standpoint, uh, that's the only stable world order there is, right? Like if you've got different 
you know, groups of families vying for power uh, in the age of biological weapons and artificial intelligence and, you know, slaughter bots. Um, you know, we're not going to have a stable system because someone can just do a first strike capability with plausible deniability. Oh, look, this new virus got released, right? And that's a race-specific bioweapon that can wipe out the other, you know, the other, the other power player. Um, and so I think that uh, we're, we're in for a complete reworking of our entire system. I think that it's a one-way street. Um, and I think that this is all coming out now because uh, artificial intelligence has just made such leaps and bounds, especially in the last two years. Uh, it's kind of sucker punched everyone. And that uh, all of this crazy clown world stuff is going to, you know, that's destabilizing our perception of reality is going to flow right into um, this amazing, you know, godlike artificial intelligence system that's just going to spread to everywhere i mean you're already seeing it right now like we're in the middle of a writer's strike right now an actor strike yeah an actor strike you know and they're pissed off and they're rightly pissed off because the deals that the producers are are offering them or the 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 oligarchs whatever it is that they're fighting against um they're saying that they want to do a scan of background actors images and likeness pay them for one day of work and then use them perpetually in any capacity that they want without consent, you know? And it's just like, welcome to the AI world, right? Like the problem is, is that all these writers, they don't have any, like all of their value is about to be become obsolete because someone with a script can send for chat GPT and just get entire, like, you know, scene made like it's maybe it's not there quite yet but you know give it six months we're going to see how much better it's going to be and uh the screen actors guild they're in a tough position because their big selling point is that they know how to write and the thing is is that how valuable is that going to be when you know i can just go to chat gpt and say you know give me a seinfeld script that has these plot points and then you know it will it will just it'll it'll make that and then i can ask it to do revisions and changes and i can just iterate through it right like this used to take hours and days now it could be done you know within seconds and minutes uh, and so we're i think that the screen actor skills is kind of like the first sort of thing to drop i think that this is going to happen all over the place like why need teachers why need cooks um, you know, why need paralegals to do research? You just feed it all into an artificial intelligence system. It's going to give you that answer just like that. And so I think that all this stuff that we're seeing right now, like, you know, what's the big picture? Uh, I think it's just basically the stabilization of our, of our political economic systems uh, and push them to the point, to the breaking point, um, so that by the time the revolution is officially started, um, people just sort of sit back and go, well, how could it get any worse? Let's just let the whole system burn because I'm not going to get in the way of it. Uh, that's, I think, what they're saying. I, I for whatever reason, uh, really liked this system that we had. I grew up in the 90s. I thought that was a really great era. Um, liberalism, I wanted to see that sort of extended and not extinguished. Uh, but it looks like we're on a one-way train. Um, and that this isn't going to be stopped um, because nothing that I've done has been able to make it stop. And it just keeps on going and it's getting weirder and weirder as we go further and further down this entire thing. And I feel really bad for the people 
that are totally, you know, bought into this whole narrative. I've got family members that, you know, when I was at their place, they wanted, they were talking about getting the New York Times. Like, could you imagine that? Like getting the New York Times, knowing what you guys know now about it being just straight propaganda. You know, um, it's it's amazing that such a large section of the population is still going along with this, um, with this narrative, this current thing narrative that we have in this world. I only watch CNN, bro. That's it. <laughs> really? <laughs> no, I'm playing, dude. I'm okay, joking. good. No, 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 I'm just kidding. Um, oh, no, there's no. another question I wanted to ask. Okay, you go. So you're you're inside Google. You're watching the discussions around this thing rolling out taking place. Like, are you talking to anyone else? Like, is anyone else questioning this? Are you prompting anyone else to be like, is this strange? Am I the only one that thinks something might be morally inco, you know, incoherent here? There was a minority of people that were like, what's going on here? This is crazy. What are we doing? This, this is nuts. Right. Yeah. Um, and then there's a lot of people that are just like, um, you know, there's people that were like actively against it. And then there's other people that are like, no, this is totally good. Yeah, we need to do this. Like, you know, fuck white people. You know, there's a redhead telling me this, like one of my bosses, right? And it's just like, um, it's like, whoa, these people have, they're just going along with the group think. But yeah, there there were some people that were against it. They were kind of like skeptical, but going along with it anyways. And then a minority of people that were like actively believing and knowing that this was absolutely the most rotten thing ever. Yeah. What was going on like for you? Yeah. Psychologically, emotionally, as you're becoming as you're becoming more aware of this stuff. And then you ultimately make this decision to take all these papers, these files, and you know, expose them. I mean, what's going through my mind as this is all happening? Yeah, like as it's yeah. as it's building up and ramping up, so you're making this decision to like, you know, become this whistleblower. You know, there were so many things happening in my mind at that same time. Like, I mean, he, it was like my great awakening, right? Like, so prior to the election of 2016, I thought we pretty much had like a corrupt, very corrupt, but open system, you know, with a with a independent media outlet. Um, and during the election, I was like, why is everything getting really strange? And then it was one of my friends, I was like, the whole media sold out. And they're run by by a super by a hidden super state. And I was like, what? Get the fuck out of here, right? But then I was like, wait a minute. That would make a lot of sense and explain pretty much everything that's going on. Um, and then once Trump got elected, I was like, oh my gosh, that's totally true. There is an Illuminati. There's the whole thing's controlled, absolutely thoroughly controlled. And the left and the right were just, you know, playing a part. And now that Trump's getting in there, they've all turned and exposed themselves as um, as all being on the same team. Um, and so for me, realizing this and seeing it myself, I was having great transformations, uh, sort of like a kundalini awakening, where I was realizing, okay, this whole thing is just a controlled narrative. So what really is the truth? And as I go out there and try to figure out what the truth is, I, you know, it's really distressing. Like it essentially burned out who I was, what I believed in. 
Um, and as I started to go down all these conspiracy theories, like for example, the the the, the Titanic, um, and to sort of pick out and see, like for example, the, the Titanic. Let's talk about the Titanic, right? Like the Titanic probably was an assassination operation against the um three or four people that were against the Federal Reserve. Um, John Aston, um, Astor, and a bunch of other, like, Guppenheimen uh, or something like Otis that. Strauss, I think. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And uh, what's interesting, too, is that um, they actually, uh, like, once you think about it, um, you're actually like, wait a minute, how could an iceberg underwater rip through hardened steel of a ship that's technically the class of an icebreaker, right? Like, I started realizing, wait a minute, maybe, you know, if jet fuel can't melt steel beams. Maybe um, icebergs can't rip through hardened steel. And I went, oh, man, even that's okay. And then as I started to see all of these big things within our, within our, you know, group history, right? Like, for example, Einstein's right, right? Einstein's theory, general relativity, blah, 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 right? Like, Every big thing that happens within the media that the media keeps repeating, I started to realize was actually false. And the reason why they're repeating it is because they're trying to cement it in our heads because it is false, but they've got some personal or some sort of agenda to continually push that into our heads, right? And so I was having this sort of deconstruction of my personality, of my worldview realizing that everything that i had believed in was because of a marketing budget of people that i've never met that were pushing this information in front of me and having me absorb it so um you know what was going through my mind is um i think there's a takeover right now of the united states um and i and i can stop this by exposing it i, I really believe that um i thought that i could stop it um, all I was able to do is sort of cripple the way that Google operated. Um, I didn't realize that after exposing this system, like I thought that, oh, well, if I just expose the evidence to the DOJ, they're, they'll, they'll launch investigation and they'll be able to, you know, take down Google. You know, once the people understand what's going on, then they'll rise up and they'll stop Google. Uh, unfortunately, it didn't work out that way, right? Like I sent the... 950 pages to the Department of Justice. Um, what's really interesting is that, like, there was an investigation that was launched. Um, it was done by the state attorney generals of um, um, 48 different states and territories. Uh, but um, nothing really happened with it. I believe that it was some sort of weird extortion racket that was used against Google. Like, hey, we've got all this stuff, give us money. And then that's how they resolved it. Um, you know, that there wasn't really any worthwhile congressional investigations. Um, and, uh, but the one thing that I did do was cripple the company with this explosive leak, right? Because I changed the nature of which Google operated, which was this something that Eric Schmidt had done, which was a open, transparent company in which you can just look at anyone's information within the company and figure out you know, what their OKRs are, what they worked on. Like it was a completely open system, right? And that's how I found all this information, these 950 pages is that, you know, it was open. I just looked at it and I read it and came to my own conclusions. 
But, um, you know, that all ended within the company after this leak. Because now every single thing that someone writes down could be potentially used against the company. And so that means they're going to have to, they, they had to lock down like the CIA, right? And so operationally, they've been, you know, affected. Uh, and it looks like the natural state of the technology space is actually going to do them in, like, right? Like everyone, like Google was a, was a search engine. And that's how they made their money was by serving ads. Well, now everyone, I don't even use search engines that much anymore. I use ChatGPT to find my information, right? And there's no ads that are served. I pay for it. Um, and so what's interesting is that Google will eventually be done in by uh, the changing markets and their own disruption caused by, um, you know, being so freaking evil that they can't innovate anymore, which is one of the big things. They can't innovate when everything's locked down and no one can share everything. So, um, you know, going back to, you know, what was going through my head, uh, I was a lot of different emotions uh, for a good three years from 2000, the end of 2016 to when I blew the whistle in 2019. I felt that I was dying on the inside. Um, I woke up every single day, you know, with, with all this horrendous censorship that was happening, uh, which was totally against my constitution, my personal constitution of who I am. And I would wake up every single day in San Francisco, dreading going to work uh, because I was part of this well-oiled censorship machine that was doing everything you know, that I disagreed with. Like, if, if I wanted to just sell my soul, I should have done it to Palantir, right? Would have been a millionaire, multimillionaire, you know, with the stock options that they were offering those first employees. Um, you know, but I didn't because I wanted to stay with the company that represented my values. And now they were trashing that, that to an extreme degree. You know, and unlike, you know, a smaller company, Google's everywhere. They got a monopoly on it. Um, and so... Um, and additionally, I was paranoid because I was collecting all of this information as a side project within Google, right? And so I was like creating this whole cache of documents. And every single day, I had to walk into the company in which um, I was looking at what they were doing, um, knowing that anytime they could, um, they could bring me into the office, snatch my laptop, and then just screw me over through legal work, like, oh, why are you looking at all these documents, right? Because every single time you look at a document, it's not like, you know, it's anonymous, right? Like you're logged into your, you know, corporate account and you're looking at these documents. And if they ever just do a search, like who's looking at all these different documents and they plug it together, they could be like, oh, here's a list of people we need to talk to about why they're looking at all these documents. Um, they didn't do that actually until I gave them my notice that I was going to resign. Once mm. that happened, then they immediately put me on a audit uh, by the network uh, security team. And they quickly came to the realization that I had seen a lot of things and they wanted to um, intercept me at work, which they tried to do. But unfortunately, I was working from home on the day that I announced my resignation. So they weren't able to get a hold of me. And, um, and, they asked me to come in so that I could talk to them. I said, no, I'm, I'm not doing that. Um, yeah. And so they cut off my access to my card and they made my resignation effective immediately. So how, how is it that 
if this was such secret information, like, did you have to, were you able to find it easily yeah. within the corporate infrastructure? I mean, it wasn't that, it wasn't like they weren't trying to keep it secret. See, there's this weird thing that they do where if, if they kind of keep it open, then it's not evil, right? Because when, when something's really evil, you hide it away, you squirrel it away, you, you know, you keep it under lock and key. But, um, here they were kind of like semi-open about it and they talked about it in their, you know, meetings. Right? Like, oh, well, our machine learning algorithms, you know, uh, our machine learning fairness, restoring, you know, fairness to the internet. And they sort of like casually mentioned it. And like, mm -hmm, okay, right. And they, they just go along. And the thing is, is that, you know, when you're in that group think mentality, like, I don't know, you guys have worked within corporations. Mm, not not really maybe for okay. a short bit of time maybe you don't know not. how it is so um there's this thing where there's a uh, sort of a mass formation that happens within a co corporation right um you, you're sort of sensing what everyone else is sensing and like getting a read on the on the way and so um you know there's there's a lot of psychological psychic pressure to sort of go along with what it is mm -hmm. that they're going along with and so um you know when they talk about something and everyone just has no objections whatsoever, right? With like, um, you know, machine learning fairness, right? Like they would talk about it like normally and no one's got any reaction to it that would, you know, indicate that this is something that's actually revolting. Then it just sort of like, you know, becomes normalized. And then that's, that's how they, they bring it in. And so, um, you know, when I discovered machine learning fairness, it was in the communication to middle management phase, right? So it had already been like decided in the upper management that it was putting into middle management to sort of like push into all these different projects. And so, you know, um, are you going to be the first one to speak up? That, that sort of thing. But once everything gets leaked, then that, that just like, like changes everything, right? And then what the great thing about leaking is that uh, it's an act of consensus cracking because before this is something that's like, oh, this is normal within the company. This is totally fine what we're doing. And then everyone else discovers it. And then they're just like, oh my God, I can't believe they're doing this. Da, da, da. I'll give you an example. Let me give you an example, right? So um, this is actually from my book and it's one of the first uh, pages. And it goes into what Google actually thinks about their customer base, right? So this is a slide, internal Google slide document right here. And it's the four steps on how uh, Google's users are programmed, right? So first off, the four, four stages of programming your users. Training data are collected and classified. Algorithms are programmed, step two. Media are filtered, ranked, aggregated, or generated. And then step four, People like us are programmed, right? Like, let's see if we can get that in there. Yeah. So here we go. Yeah, people like us are programmed. That's, like that, that's, that's direct that. in their language. And it was in multiple slides. And it was done by their AI ethicists, right? Like, it's it's unbelievable that the that the source of the rot came from the ethicists themselves. Um, so, um, you know, 
That consensus cracking is really important because what you do is you take that information and you bring it to the larger you know, public and then they all get to see the information and then they all get to react to it. And then everyone that's working at the company sees how everyone else is reacting to it You know, within the, the news space. Um, and that causes cognitive uh, dissonance and a form of pain where the world that you live in um, and you experience doesn't li- or no, the world that you experience doesn't line up with the world as you thought that it was, right? So they thought that this, you know, um, this this machine learning fairness, uh, for those at least that that were acutely aware of it, um, you know, they, they would think, oh, this is fine. We can we can rank the internet, or more generally, we can filter the internet to get rid of fake news, right? That's what they thought. And then once they see that everyone actually has a big problem with this, and this is like censorship, like the Nazis were doing, um, then that causes sort of an existential angst. Like, oh, you know, they have to like build up walls in their mind. It takes a lot of mental fortitude to sort of like re reevaluate the world uh, and think about it harder so that you can still be the good guy. Um, and a lot of people just go, I'm out of here, right? They don't want to do that, uh, which, you know, um, has happened at Google for a while now. It's like, if you're like, now, now they know, now everyone knows that Google is very evil on the inside. There's some very evil parts. You have to be totally brainwashed, uh, not to believe that. Um, and so now they're essentially filled with people that are, uh, you know, people that go along with the current thing narrative, the truly independent thinkers, um, have moved on to other companies. Um, and you know, you, it's interesting. Like you ever, if you ever noticed that like IBM had this like culture of like show up to work and you get paid and you don't really have to do that much, but you got to attend a lot of meetings for what I hear. Google has sort of become that right. Where, um, they weren't the shining star that they used to be. Um, they're more mediocre than, you know, they, they've ever been because, uh, innovation and independent thought has been completely stamped out because, you know, you get the leaks or, you know, and and that's really bad because that independent thought is critical for software design. You know, you got to be a highly creative person in order to create a great system. Um, and so, um, you know, th- unfortunately, this they've led to their own demise. And the reasons for doing this, you know, could have just been Trump or is this some sort of greater plot play that's playing out. I think it's a greater plot play. Um, but, you know, hopefully we still have some semblance of the free market uh, in order to take down some giant like Google and replace it with some, you know, decentralized data access system, right? Like now at least that there's more search engines out there, DuckDuckGo, Bing, Bing's getting really good. We need a constellation of different ways to access the internet, not just one, you know, search behemoth that has a monopoly in this space. Mm. From from the greater plot play perspective, say we take the stance that you know all presidents are selected. So let's say, for example, Trump was selected. So then, for yeah. example, could that have been? Could the justification be then to to that, that could be the reason to justify the censorship and to justify the rollout of the machine learning fairness, for example? Or do you think yeah. no? Yeah, I think I think that's the way that it is, right? Like you know. Um, people need to know that this whole censorship thing started off like on a more general sense, it was Trump, but more specifically it was the Pizzagate thing, right? The leak of the emails that come out. uh, Oh, they're like, you know, talking about hot dogs and pizza and whatever. And 
you know, that that's actually satanic lingo, whatever. I don't know if that's true. It's a crazy story. But I do know that the people at Google believe that this was a fake uh, Russian disinformation plot. And so the, that's what ushered in the the solution to the problem. So it was a perfect problem reaction solution system yep. that came into place right there. And it worked out beautifully. Yep. Uh, whether that was organic or whether that was pre-planned uh, is beyond me. Yeah. And then, then you have the people on the, on the truth side that think, oh, this must be even more true because look, they're trying to censor it. They're trying to squash it, you know? It's right. Very, very, very interesting. What's the connection between the Las Vegas massacre that took place in 2017 and this whole fake news connection? Yeah, so they introduced a code red during the Las Vegas massacre that happened. Um, and I remember it was, so the shooting happened October 1st, 2017. And then we had this code red event the next day, October 2nd, 2017, in which the CEO of YouTube at the time, Susan Wachiski, came out and said, oh, this is a terrible thing. There's all this fake news about this horrible mass shooting, right? And by then I was just like, huh, uh, what kind of fake news, right? And um, and it turned out that, uh, and so what they did is they, in, is that they injected blacklists into um, the different parts of Google. Uh, most specifically and notably, the YouTube controversial query blacklist was injected on the 2nd of October, 2017. What is a blacklist? So blacklist is a collection of phrases, terms, and other items that uh, signal to the engine that uh, content matching that, 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 that collection of terms should be deranked. Yeah. And so, so, go ahead. No, continue, continue. So this uh, controversial query blacklist, which got injected onto YouTube's servers, um, was... Mostly, it's about 20 pages. Well, actually, no, 40 pages in total, but half of that 20 pages was related to strictly the Las Vegas massacre and suppressing of information. And what was interesting is that, um, you know, the, 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 a lot of the information was the fact that he was like a Democrat or something like that. So there's, there's basically like, think of it like, um, like information at the, that was coming out at the time pointed in both directions like oh he's a democrat oh he's a republican right they were censoring anything that said that he was a democrat and allowing anything that was true that was saying that he was a republican right by just like putting their finger down on one side of the debate like they were able to get the story out that this was a conservative that like wanted you know that like shot up a you know a country singing event uh you know and that uh you know, and and that that narrative was allowed to proliferate just because the counter narrative was suppressed. Um, you know, anything that was like, you know, he he was a Democrat or he was against Trump or something like that, which is this really weird thing. And I hate to go off on this tangent, but like, they were literally censoring just anything that pointed to him as sort of allied with the intelligence apparatus that, or a Democrat or a leftist or whatever. Boom, gone. Um, additionally, as I started to, you know, investigate, like, well, if they're censoring all this information, what is being censored? And to my surprise, a lot of the information that was being censored was, you know, multiple shooters uh, coming from multiple locations. Um, and so, and that there was, I guess there was a, um, a, there was a gun, there was a gunfight at the, uh, Vegas airport. 
And the information that started to come out at the time was that uh, I guess the Saudi royal family was there uh, at the event at the time. Um, and that, that the Mandalay Bay, which the shooting took place, was actually um, the Mandalay Bay and I guess the Four Seasons Hotel in the upper four floors. And that the royal family had rented it out during that week. And um, that the, this mass shooting happened under that that um, that place. and. Uh, and it looks like it was an assassination attempt on MBS. And, and what's MBS? What's uh, Mohammed bin Salman. Oh, okay. Yeah, the the current emperor. And, um, yeah, and uh, and right after that happened, there was basically a huge purge within the Saudi royal family. Uh. Bin Talal was like, you know, arrested and I supposedly hung upside down and then disgorged of all of his earnings. Uh, and uh, a bunch of his family, like uh, people closer to that side of the family were, there's this one scene or this one news story that came out where uh, they all got into a helicopter and then the helicopter took off after they all got arrested, like 20 of them. But these family members got arrested. They were all put into a helicopter. The helicopter took off and then crashed, right, killing them all. And so there was this sort of like uh, power play that took place with uh, between the United States and Saudi Arabia within 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 Vegas. And uh, the reason why they were covering it up was because uh, they didn't want that information to get out. And the guy who covered it up, um, the sheriff, um, can't remember what his name was. He's now the governor of Nevada, if you can believe that. Mm. The guy who literally covered it up. And Laura Loomer, like, busted him on while he was giving his press conference because what the claims that he was making is that the shooter was from this balcony and that he was firing, you know, down the ground. Um, and then what she noticed is that between uh, that, that from the firing position, there was impossible bullets that were landing on the concrete because they'd come and they'd hit like the concrete and made like bullet holes and some, I guess, bullets might have even got lodged. And the thing that Laura Loomer showed was that between the bullet holes and the shooting position was a giant water tower that would be impossible to penetrate. And so it's like she was showing these impossible uh, shots that were happening um, saying, well, how could this only be if there's only one shooter out of the Mandalay Bay? You know, what about these reports of other people saying that there were multiple shooters? Um, and so that whole thing got covered up. And what was interesting is that the survivors of the shooting started to form together to a coalition of people to figure out what the heck happened. And then boom, 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 they all started dying, you know, in weird ways too. Like, oh, robbery. Um, another one was like a like a murder-suicide, like the day after this happened or a couple of days, whatever. It was like a father son or father daughter had seen this, and then the father had, I guess, decided to just go insane and kill his daughter, and then kill himself, and then leave a suicide note. And as I started looking at these different, you know, um, articles about all these weird things that were happening, the first paragraph for it was something along the lines of like, "Everyone's coming here because they believe there's a conspiracy, but there's no conspiracy. This really did happen." I'm just like, "What is fucking going on here in this clown world?" And that was. That Las Vegas massacre was my first sort of dive into how absolutely controlled the media was. That 
Because I was like, there's no way that they've controlled every single local paper in Las Vegas. Yep, they have. They literally have. They're then they're able to apply pressure and they're able to shut the whole thing down um, news-wise uh, within Las Vegas so that no real information could come outside unless someone like Laura Loomer or someone from the outside came and started doing their own investigative work, which is what happened. So, you know, that was the Las Vegas massacre. That At that point, the news was so crazy that I was like, well, what's... What's really going on? What's more likely is is the news this crazy, or am I starting to like go into like early signs of schizophrenia or something, right? And make you know and, and hallucinate this information. But you know, fortunately for me, uh, I wasn't going crazy. It was the whole world. Yeah, it's it's wild when like people consume so much entertainment, and when you look at movies and you look at TV shows. Like TV shows show instances like this happening, like things that would happen in Las Vegas or, you know, some person being framed by killing themselves and killing their family. And yet they just associate fiction with it. But then when it comes out in the real world, like, yeah, that wouldn't happen. You know what I mean? Like it kind of blows my mind because me having the awareness that I have when I watch these things, I'm like, this shit happens in the real world. And yet people go, no, it doesn't happen. And yet they're being plugged with this type of content all the time. And it's like this weird thing where it's like, because they associate it with like entertainment that it could not happen in the real world. Right. It's like some sort of circuit in their brain gets activated. Like, Oh, this is fake. That that's happens on TV, but not in real life. Yeah. It, it's really, it's really interesting to think about. Almost like a way of information laundering, right? Like they can launder the information through a fictional source and then, you know, it poisons the, everything that comes through it. Yeah. And when you, there's so many factors to this because obviously there's top down control and then you have collectivism and you have all this programming, people going along to get along. And then there are people that don't have the psycho emotional fortitude to be a whistleblower or to go against the, the power system. So they sit there, they collect their check, they, they, write the, they write the stories that people tell them to write. And then if they do try to challenge it once, they get shot down and they're just like, well, listen, I, I got a family, I got kids to feed. I can't, I can't like take this a step further. And it's just, it's such an interesting play on in people's psyches. Yeah, I agree. You know? So you had the... I remember hearing this somewhere, but you had the bomb squad and the SWAT team come after you? Yeah. Yeah. So fucking insane. Yeah, I got got swatted. So um, what's the backstory to this? So like I had had Google's laptop and uh, they wanted it back. And uh, I knew that if I were to hand over this laptop, it would have hard evidence of me exfiltrating their data. And so I didn't want to give them the laptop and I was trying to figure out what I could do. And then I came to the conclusion, this idea, oh, duh, this was used, like this has got criminal evidence on it, right? Like the censorship, illegal, you know, insurrection, like this is, this is actually a, a criminal document that needs to be handed over to the um, to the authorities. And so, um, you know, I, I packed it up and I sent it along with the printout of all 950 pages of Google censorship regime to the DOJ. Um, and, uh, you know, and so I was playing this sort of like game with Google where they had this high-priced attorney firm coming after me. And 
I didn't want to give them the information. So I was delaying them. And, um, and around this time in July, um, there were anonymous trolls that started to out me on Twitter. Um, and, you know, say, shouldn't you change your bio, Mr. L Big Tech Leaker? And, uh, and when we figured out, and so we set a trap because I was like, well, who the heck is this person, right? Like, and so we set this trap and, uh, and a friend of mine set up a server, an, en an Nginx server with um, uh, the, the server logs turned on and posted a picture and then used this picture in a Twitter debate. And so the person was stupid enough to click on this picture and thereby our server was able to capture the log information of their and log their IP address. From their IP address, we were able to reverse geocode it to a location on the planet, on a map, and it turned out to be a Google data center. So I was getting like hit with anonymous trolls from Google themselves without using a VPN. So um, I was like, okay, well, they're coming after me now. Um, you know, I've got this, this heat of the dragon of, their, of this legal firm operating down on me. And so I um, decided that I was going to let them know that I had the goods and that they should back off. Now, I, at this point, I had not decided to come out against, like, I had not decided to disclose all 950 pages back in June of 2019 when I had come out with Project Veritas. We had released uh, just three pages of the disclosure. Um, and we had not released the entire thing. And so um, I still had that as like, you know, this, this thing that I could release. And so um, I decided that, well, since Google is harassing me, and they're still breathing down my neck, I'm going to go to the internet, and I'm going to reveal to them that I've got this, and hopefully they will get the point and they'll leave me alone. And so I made this tweet on August 4th. Um, and I'll, I can show you that here, but what it said is, oh, here we go right here. Okay. And basically it says dead man switch is now activated in the event of my untimely death, full disclosure. Hmm. And it's got a picture of a, a painting of someone, you know, stabbing a dragon. Um, and so... Um, and so I put this up there as sort of a warning, letting them know that I had their documents that I, that I could stab the heart of the dragon if I wanted to. Um, instead of getting the point and backing off, um, they decided to um, do a wellness check and send police to my house. And, um, and the thing, and I got a heads up on it because when I had left from Google, I put in someone else's address um, as my as my home location. So when they sent police to my house, they used that information I'd given them on my exit to send police officers to the wrong house. And so I got a call that, oh, the police are here and looking for you. And they, they think that you're really here. Um, and so I was like, oh no. And then like 15 minutes later, they were at my place um, and I didn't answer the door. And so they let themselves into my house, but luckily I've got this long staircase so they can't see like inside, like, you know, that far. 
And so um, I just sort of laid low and listened to see if they would come up. They didn't come up. Um, but I've got like custom-made LED lighting in my house. And so they looked at this. They said, could this house be booby-trapped? We think that it is. And so they decided to call in the bomb squad. Um, and so the bomb squad was called. And two bomb robots, believe it or not. And they just waited for me outside, endlessly trying to give me a call, of which I didn't pick up because I wanted to pretend that I was not there. Because uh, what do they got? They got like a stingray interception system. I don't know. So, uh, but, you know, once the bomb squad gets called in, the FBI, you know, all the other departments, get, in all in all, there were four different law enforcement agencies that were at my house trying to get me to come out. And I pretended that I wasn't there until a friend arrived. And then that friend was like, oh, yeah, I can get Zach out for you. Idiot. So um, once I answered the phone call for him, my cover was blown. The cops knew I was there. And uh, and at that point, I realized that either I'm going to come out and figure out what it is that they want, or they're going to figure out some way to come into my house, and then it could end up badly for me. Um, and so I went ahead and decided that I was just going to come out and let them know that I was going to be cooperative, that I wasn't armed, and that I was going to uh, hopefully get this done with the minimum amount of paperwork on their side. And they seemed very happy about that. So um, they allowed me to come out. Everything was super peaceful. And then um, at some point, they uh, they came out from behind and grabbed my hands and put it behind my back and then restrained me um, so that they could ask me questions like, you know, whether I was on drugs, or whether I should be on drugs, or whether I've got any suicidal thoughts, yada, yada, yada. You know, basically what you would ask a mass shooter, you know, you know, to see if they're all right. They were trying to ask me that. And obviously, I'm, I'm not any of those things. So I just answered them normally. And they're like, well, why would Google do that? And that's when I was like, aha, I knew Google was behind this, right? And by them admitting that Google had called in this wellness check, like, why would Google call in this wellness check? That's when I realized that, okay, so this was everything related to this tweet and everything. Um, and so I said, well, because I was blowing the whistle on Google and sent 950 pages of their documentation to the Department of Justice. The cop looked at me and was like, what? Get out of here. Do you have any proof? And luckily, I had taken a picture of the letter that I had sent to DOJ. And so I provided the proof, an image of the letter that I had sent to the DOJ. And then they're just like, oh, oh wow, okay, this guy's a real deal. And then, then they were friendly. And I was finally able to ask the burning question that it's been on my mind for a very long time, which was, which is the most accurate cop show uh, on television? Is it CSI? Is it, you know, cops? And like, no, 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 that's all fake. No, that's that not even remotely real. There's actually only one TV show the that's scary the accurate. The Blacklist. <laughs> no, uh, Reno 911. Oh, that's funny. <laughs> Yeah, they said it was, and it's like they all agreed that Reno 911, like the FBI, the sheriffs, uh, you know, uh, the SFPD, the bomb squad, they all agreed that Reno 911 was scary accurate uh, as a depiction of um, how cops actually operate in the real life. That's pretty funny. That's a uh, fucking insane experience. Yeah. Um. So. Yeah, like you experienced um, while you were at, YouTube headquarters are shooting as well. Is that right? Yeah. Uh, April 2018. Um, a mass shooter came to YouTube. And this was like in the middle of like when I was getting into like the 
the rabbit holes and like realizing that a lot of the shootings were false flags. And so um, I was at work. Uh, for some reason, I decided not to go to, to lunch that day. And then um, in the, in the uh, sort of around uh, one, the fire alarm got pulled. And I was thinking to myself, wouldn't that be funny if this was like a mass shooting? It just sort of like crossed my mind. But I was like, okay, you know, that's dumb. Grab my skateboard, go out to the back, get ahead of everyone because I'm on a skateboard and there's a there's like a downhill. So I'm like going down this downhill. And this is an electric skateboard, so I'm even going even faster. And I noticed like something ahead of me where there's a bunch of people standing around looking to the left. And I'm like, there's something weird going on on here, right? And so I come to these people and I, I look to where they're looking and there's this body on the concrete, right? On their back, five o'clock shadow, blood coming out of their stomach. Now I couldn't figure, I didn't realize it didn't occur to me that this was blood coming out of their stomach. Uh, I was just like, what is that? What is going on? I, mean, I was looking at this person's lying still, da, 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 and, uh, you know, and there's this, there's this weird guy that's like shouting uh, by the basketball court. And I didn't, didn't figure out what that was, but he was, he was really kind of a weird scene, right? This guy shouting crazy shit to the right of me at the basketball court and to my left there's like a dead body bleeding out and i'm like what's going on and then all of a sudden the door to the patio where we there's like a courtyard there's a door it comes out to the uh street that opens from one direction from the inside out but this one was open from the outside and this police officer with this assault rifle comes into the, the courtyard and I saw that and I went, oh my God, this is a mass shooting, right? And so um, I was like, I got to get out of here. And so I took my skateboard and I put the skateboard down. And I went down the road as I was going along to, to get out. Um, the mass of people was now coming down. They had no idea that this mass shooting had taken place. And so as they were coming down, I yelled up to them, active shooter, active shooter. And then some of them got it and they just made a beeline right for the uh, fence, started falling over the fence, you know, falling over it, like getting out any way that they could uh, to escape this. Um, I wanted to actually get a video or a photograph of what this person was. And so what I did was I went into the uh, parking garage that was adjacent. I went to the uh, second floor to like, go out there and start taking like, like images. God, I wish I had gotten those images. But uh, surprisingly, there was like some sort of guard that was there that was like, Oh, no, you got to leave da da da. And so um, and so I, I, I didn't get any pictures. Um, and so um, nobody wanted to talk to the to the media worked at Google for some reason. Like they were literally set up an exit point below the campus where everyone was exiting and going by and they were like microphones out, you know, 
Do you want to give an interview? What happened? Da, da, da. Everyone's just ignoring them. I've got a little bit of flair for the dramatic. I was totally fine. I was like, what are they going to do? They're going to fire me after a mass shooting? Like, because I talked to the media, I was like, I'm going to bend the rules here a little bit and, and actually tell, talk to the media. And so like, I literally went and just started like, it's like, yeah, I'll talk to you. And then boom, like four microphones in my face. Right. And suddenly I was like the guy. And it wasn't because like, like, like it could have been anyone else. If anyone else had simply decided to, to, to talk to the media, I'm actually blown away that for like tens of minutes, no one would talk to the media except me. And so I, I just start open my mouth. Then all of a sudden I became like the go-to guy, the Mr. News guy that was talking about the experience because I had like seen it. And so the New York Times and all this stuff, they're all giving me a call trying to figure out like what my side of the story was. Um, what was really interesting is that, um, you know, the shooter was a transvestite. And um, when I told the police what I had, or, I'm sorry, when I told the media what I had seen, I said that the victim was a, um, was a male, right? Because of the five o'clock shadow. But it turns out that it was actually a transvestite. I just didn't realize that because of the rush of things. And so I, 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 and so when I told the media that there was a victim, that it was a male, they thought that there was actually um, another shooter because you see the shooter by the, by, the, by the narrative was a female and they committed suicide. And so the fact that I said that the person that committed suicide was a male or the, the, the dead body was a male made them think that there was another active shooter going on. And so they, all of a sudden there was like, oh, there's two shooters, da, da, da. There's like all this weird information on the internet. Um, and in fact, the New York Times, where I, I, I told them, you know, what had happened, you know, and that the victim was a male, they, they called me, it was a woman, I can't remember her name, but she called me back up and she chewed me out. She was like, are you an intelligence asset? Like, why would you say that it was the victim was a man when it was clearly a woman? I was like, oh, like I told you what I saw. Da, 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 da. You know, I don't know what you're talking about. Um, and uh, and then later they called back and they said, okay, well, you know, sorry about that. Jumping to conclusion. It looks like some of your information did pan out because I, I explained how the person probably came in through the building, which was through the one unsecured place within the whole building. This is the crazy thing. Every single day that I would go into work, I would be like, why is this one door unlocked, right? Like everyone would get access to the entire uh, back campus through the courtyard and everything. They just come in, get free food. The unlocked door was in the parking garage that connected the parking garage to the courtyard. And they had this amazing security all over the entire campus, except for this one door. I couldn't figure out why wouldn't they just freaking lock the door? Like, look, like everyone's got their key card. Like, if you're going to come into the courtyard, you got to use your key card to come in through the courtyard the same way that you use in order to get into the, you know, through the gate of the parking garage. But for some reason, this one door didn't have a key card. Guess which door the shooter came in to get access to the campus? The same door. Weird, right? So, um, but it gets weirder than that. All right. 
So most people, when they go through a, a mass shooting, they're they're not going to be like, well, let's go investigate the victims, right? But I was, right? Because I was in the middle of this and I was just like, is this a fucking psyop? Because like, oh, a shooter just come in? Like, everyone's going to be like so mind-fucked by this shooter that they're going to want to ban all the guns. So I said, is this even real? Like, what the... F- just happened. So um, I couldn't figure out who, who was injured because there was apparently two people that were injured. One was shot in the ankle. And uh, no one knew who they were. Kind of funny when it's a campus with uh, 1,700 people in it, right? Like, it, you know, like, oh, word would spread around. Oh, it was Jane in accounting or John in marketing, right? Or, you know, um, Andy, the engineer, right? Like, everyone knows everyone. Like, you wouldn't be able to hide that. But for some reason, we didn't know who the victims were. So I said to myself, well, I'm just going to go to Mark Zuckerberg Hospital where they're recovering and figure it out. So I went out and I bought a get well soon card and a balloon. And I went down to Mark Zuckerberg Hospital to figure it out. And I arrived. And I told them that I worked at YouTube and that we were all very concerned about uh, the well-being of the victims of this mass shooting. and so. Uh, we would like to give them a get well soon card, you know, and, and, you know, personally like, Hmm, okay. Yeah. Just stay right here. And so they had me wait an hour, basically 30 minutes, right? They just had me sitting out there with no update. And then all of a sudden, like a doctor came out and was like, are you Zach? I'm like, yeah, I'm sorry, but we're not allowing anyone to visit the victims right now. Oh, okay. Well, you know, um, we'll get this good, well, this get well card. We're all concerned about them. Like, you know, what is the name that I should put down the get well card? Oh, we're not releasing that information right now, but we'll, we'll let you know. You can call us back when, when there's updates. Okay. All right. Well then I won't, I won't sign this card to any individual person. I'll just tell them to get well and to give me a call to let them know that they're better. So I I signed it. I put my phone number. I gave them this get well card. We still don't know who they are. Right? This shooting happened in 2018. It's now 2023. It's five years later. We have no idea who the victims are. And it turns out the shooter, their dad, uh, and and, and by the way, the shooter, there's a whole bunch of crazy stories about this, but like um, nothing about it makes sense. Her dad worked for the IRNA, which was the Iran's version of the CIA. Um, apparently they were pissed because they got demonetized. But you go and they had like 10,000 subscribers. Like, oh, are they mad about five bucks? Like, come on, you're going to shoot up a building for $5 in revenue. Like, um, not, I, at this point, I believe that it was... Oh, yeah. And here's the weirdest part. Apparently... They went to the, 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 they spent the night before the shooting in the Google parking lot at Mountain View, where we're in San Bruno. And the police actually stopped them and, uh, and ran their check and checked their background and then let them stay there overnight. 
the parents had told the media that they had warned the police that this daughter was coming up to shoot the campus. But then it later came out by the police that such a call had never actually occurred. So there's just a bunch of weird stuff. I write the whole thing off as just some sort of psychological operation to uh, mind screw all of the people within the employees within the building so that when they do their um, their horrendous gun grab, you know, Google falls in line with the with the narrative. Um, and, you know, um, I don't know what percentage of people have gone to the depths that I have of uncovering this mass shooting. Uh, I bet they would think that I was a stark raving lunatic to, you know, suggest that it was, you know, engineered by uh, as an intelligence operation that the victims were were possibly crisis actors. But until I figure out who these people actually are, that's my assumption. Because how can you how can you hide that? Really? Like, how could you hide someone getting, you know, shot? And we still don't know their names. That just, it just doesn't make any sense. So like a week later, everyone goes back to work. There's no rumors going around like Jane didn't show up today. No, no, <laughs> no. So weird. And we did, they all let it go. They just let it go. Like, like that was normal. Like that we wouldn't figure out who got shot. Crazy, man. That's crazy. Like I just, I did a, you know, a brief search via, via Google trying to discover some names. There's nothing. There's nothing. There's absolutely, absolutely nothing. You won't find anything. Yeah. I mean, you've, ex- you've, you've experienced a lot of, lot of weird shit, Zach. Yeah, I've experienced a lot of weird stuff. And if you think about it, like, it, like if you're going to have a fake mass shooting, right? Like, you're going to, well, why not just have fake victims, right? Like, if they're fake victims, then there's no family to sue or there's no family that's suing them for like the wrongful death or whatever. Um, and it just sort of tidies it all up. So it makes total sense that the victims would be fake. Yeah. Um, I understand that you have an answer to the very, very mysterious Covfefe tweet of Donald Trump. Oh, you've done your homework. You've done your homework. Mm. Yes, Covfefe wasn't just a random word that Trump tweeted out on May 31st, um, 2017, after he'd come back from Saudi Arabia. That's the backstory. He'd gone to Saudi Arabia. He'd done the sword dance with the with the Arabs, the yeah. royal family. And then he came back and he said this tweet, which was, despite the negative constant press, Kefefe. And uh, up until that day, Google Translate had translated Kefefe to the phrase, we will stand up. And so if you put that translation together with the tweet, it basically says, we're going to stand up to the fake news. But uh, Apparently, the New York Times took um, notice of this interpretation, wrote a freaking hit piece on July 1st, 2017, that basically said that Kefefe was a nonsense word that didn't exist and that people had the wrong impression that it was uh, an actual word. Um, And so this... this, um, This article was pipelined directly into... Um, Google, and they said, well, obviously, if the New York Times says that kafefe isn't a word, but we're translating it from Arabic to English, then obviously, we're in mistake. And so they created a design document to literally remove this word 
from the Arabic translation dictionary in order to do a petty political attack against the sitting president of the United States for the ultimate ends, by the way, of the media advocating for the use of the 25th Amendment to remove a sitting president due to mental incapacitation. Why was he being mentally incapacitated? Because he was tweeting nonsense based upon them deleting a word. Like, it was so out there. Like, I was like, you guys are literally deleting a word so that the stuff that he makes becomes nonsense, and now you can try to get him out for that nonsense that you've created. Um, it, it was, it was beyond, it was beyond clown world. Like this is like full clown world and full flex going on. I saw the whole thing and I was like, this is treasonous and insurrection. Like you, like you really like this is to get rid of the president. Um, and what was interesting is that, you know, well, maybe the people don't know what they're doing. You know, they're just sort of brainwashed. No, the people that got rid of this information, it was actually a censorship team. And the name of the team was called the Derrida team. And it was spelled in the same way as Jacques Derrida, the founder of postmodernism. Um, and his thesis was basically, you know, we're going to get to communism by um, a war of words. And so, you know, we should censor, you know, information. And so this you know, only a group of self-identified Marxists that are completely bought into the thing would literally call themselves the Derrida team. Sort of a, you know, inside, oh, we know what's going on, right? The Derrida, oh, Jacques Derrida? Yeah, Jacques Derrida. Yeah, totally Jacques Derrida. Oh, the censorship team. Oh, yeah, totally the censorship team. Yeah, like it's inside baseball, right? Like they're, they literally know what they're doing. They're, they're like, they're trained Marxists and they deleted this word out of the dictionary and um, people should know that, you know, that this happened to the sitting president and uh, just think what they're going to do now. How come he never said kafefe means we will stand up in Arabic? <laughs> right. I don't know. Maybe Trump's just, it's just a useful, you know, yeah. it's just it's part of it, right? Like his grandfather helped like uh, confiscate all the Tesla documents. Do you know about this? Yeah, I've heard that story. I've yeah. heard that story. So I, I think that this family orbits sort of like the globalists. Yeah, like, yeah. I mean, look, like the like, what did we learn? We learned that the uh, election machines are pretty um, you know, rigged at this point, and that yeah. rigging isn't something new. It's like if you go back and do the research, it's been going on, um, you know, for a very long time. Um, in fact, it's probably true that they rigged Abraham Lincoln into the into the office. And by the way, Abraham Lincoln was not a popular person uh, back in the day. He was a bumbling idiot. Um, but uh, he won with a bunch of mail-in ballots that came in. And they've been doing a bunch of mail-in ballot stuff for a very long time. And the question is, is that with everything so controlled, how would it be possible that Donald Trump could win the election? Right? Like, when you look at it, like, there's no way that he could even be president unless there's a group of people that are controlling things that allowed him to be. And what's interesting is that, look, um, there was a constitutional challenge we're not it was a uh, the electoral college there was electoral college challenge um when trump was uh about to make it as president i think what january 6 or something 2017 um and the vice president who could hear such an objection was joe biden 
And uh, Joe Biden um, blocked the challenge because it wasn't done by a senator. I think it was Sheila Jackson who did it. And my question is that, like, if they really hated Trump that much, they had one choke point, which was the Electoral College. They could have slowed it down. They could have heard evidence of fraud. It's the proper form, not the media, is actually the Electoral College. And they could have, they could have, they could have nixed, they could have aborted Trump's election as president right there on January 6, 2017. And they didn't. And Joe Biden didn't. The question is why? Mm -hmm. Because they need Trump. He's a foil. He's an object of anxiety. His, his focal point as an object of anxiety allows the mass formation process to form because people, you can't like convince them to go into mass formation psychosis through candy. You have to do it with a, with a gun. And Trump was that metaphorical gun. We're going to shoot you, you know, unless you get scared. And everyone got scared, right? And oh, and so this transformation that has happened to our political media systems uh, wouldn't have been possible if it weren't for an object of anxiety. <clears throat> so I think that's what Trump is. Yeah. But then it's like, we talk about, you know, the, the next quote-unquote rigged election in 2020, like, how would they ever think that anyone's going to buy that Joe Biden received 81 million votes? Like, if they're all in the same camp, why would they have to make such an unbelievable story? You know, why wouldn't they make it more plausible? Because it um, <clears throat> it creates cognitive dissonance. Yeah. And, and it's a source of existential pain. And the thing is, is that divides the people, right? Because it's like... Um, If, well, it, it, so, it, it reinforces Trump against right. the deep state narrative, right? There's there's this there's this thing that I'm trying to figure out how to to talk about, which is the um, in Russia, Adam Curtis's movie Hypernormalization mm. um, had this really terrific scene in there in which he explains that um, Putin funded the opposition parties. Right, the neo-Nazi skinheads, you know, and the Antifa, and they funded all these opposition groups. And then, but he, but here's the thing. And then at the end, what he did is he revealed to the public that that's what 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 he was doing. Right. And I saw this before they something similar had come. But I think essentially what's going on now is that the state is both saying the lie. And then um, to control opposition, admitting that it's a lie and that this is by design because then it destabilizes our perception of reality. Yeah. So we don't really know what's going on yeah. and we don't know how to react, who's real, who's not. Is it Trump? Uh, we just supported Trump and now we all got thrown in jail because of the January 6th thing and he didn't even care about us. But he's going to save us this time. Da, 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 da. And it's like your head's just filled with... Uh, you know, if if you're within the Overton window, your head is just filled with absolute garbage. It's only right. once you step outside of that Overton window and you see what the hell is going on. Like, there's no way that Trump would become president, like, accidentally. Like, they got that entire system down cold. And that's what I really should have done, like, when this stuff was happening, is realize that the entire system was controlled. I, I briefly thought that it wasn't, that this really was an insurgency. But now I just see the whole thing as it's completely controlled by the same 
people on both sides. Maybe there's different factions, but ultimately it's it's by the same group. Yeah. Why do you think Euroliads like continue to speak? Why do you think they didn't like lock you down completely? Um, so I I planned for this, right? Because I knew that the media would would focus their attention and slime me, which they've tried to to some extent. And so what I did was um every time that I talked, um, and when I put up my webpage, uh, front and center of everything are the Google Docs and exposing all of their corruption. Um, and so the thing is, is that even though the search engines are pretty rigged, they're not that rigged yet unless someone's talking bad about you. But the thing is, is that no one wants to talk anything bad about me because as soon as they do that, then people will be able to see my website or my Twitter profile and then get dragged into this fact that I was a whistleblower and that I exposed all of Google's evil documents. And so it's this thing of, oh, let's just let them like be. Mm-hmm. Right. Like, and they just, they, Google ignores it. The media pretty much ignores it. Sometimes they'll do like Media Matters did a hit piece on me when they were trying to go after RFK. They were like, oh, you know, he's supported by Zach Bor. He's a QAnon fanatic, you know, and whatever, right? Whatever they can throw up, right? That's not real. Yeah. And, um, and, and then it was when I got Judy Mikovits really big. I was man- managing her social media profile on Twitter. At the beginning when she got she blew up to 180,000. I think she's even way way higher now. Um and she was so, the original pandemic. Um, yeah. 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 Mickey Willis contacted me and was like, can you help her out with uh social media? And uh and I and to my surprise it blew up beyond anything I had ever seen before. It was just yeah. a, a dwarfed my own personal account. So um so yeah. Uh Sorry, I lost my train of thought there. So, um, what was it talking about? We're talking about how basically you're allowed to continue to, you know, speak out. And right. You, yeah. yeah, I just I just put the leaks adjacent to my name and they yep. leave me alone. Yeah. Um, I've got a final question for you, I guess, before we wrap things up. Like, what, what search engine do you recommend people actually use right now? Uh, I, I recommend... Um, using chat GPT to try to find your answers first at this point. Mm. It's way higher quality. You can sort of break it a little bit by asking it to pretend to do something. Um, now I use a combination of Go, uh, DuckDuckGo, Bing, um, Google sometimes, um, Kagi, K-A-G-I, um, Quant. Basically, when I can't find the information I'm looking for, I just go through the other search engines and try to figure it out. Um, and honestly, Twitter is a really amazing place for historical information. Like, if you want to find out anything about like what's going on, Twitter's mm-hmm. like the bee's knees. It's it's going to lead you to really good information for health information, which is vitally important right now. Um, it's scholar.google.com. Um, our our uh, SciHub. If you can't get the paper, you can go to SciHub and put in the link and it will, it'll tell you what the, the link is. That That's amazing. Um, and, you know, it's, a, it's funny. For all the search engines that Google has sabotaged, they've sort of let scholar.google.com um, stand. And you can still find a lot of really great information on that, which is really great when you're trying to figure out, like, what are the causes of... X, Y, or Z, or, you know, I, I want to heal myself. Like I need to know, understand more about what's going on. 
Mm-hmm. Um, I was able to actually uh, solve this problem of uh, chronic migraines by going online and reading about how the immune system works. Um, so yeah, it's you, you basically got to decentralize. You can't just rely on Google search anymore. You literally have to go through a multitude of different search engines and you can most of the time find the information that you're looking for. Anything political though? Ah, forget about it, right? Like it's yep. it's all going to be, unless it's Twitter. Twitter, you still find some good stuff, but now it's just a minefield of leftist propaganda masquerading as news items on, you know, the major search engines. Yeah. Cool, man. What's what's next for you now? Like, what's your, also, like, I mean, what are you moving towards at the moment? Like, yeah. uh, I'm working for a nonprofit, um, you know, doing some very important work, which I can't get into right now because, um, for various reasons, but um, that allows me to pay the bills and tread water until you know I try to figure out what I'd like to do is I'd like to put a little bit more time behind this disclosure and these leaks and uh, get a um, a new legal name so that uh, I can actually get a job again. Um, you know, what it's not that I'm blacklisted; it's that they can just do a Google search at yep. this point. Yeah. And, you know, we essentially have a social credit system that follows us around now. Um, and as soon as any employer sees that I blew the whistle and that I put all the leaks, by the way, at ZachVorhees.com, my own personal website name. So that's a huge, bold statement to make. Um, and I think that uh, any company that would look at me, if I was if I was a hiring, if I was a prospective employer, I wouldn't hire me. Like... You know, how are they going to know that I'm not going to do the same thing to them, which I wouldn't because Google had a contract. But, you know, getting into that conversation is just a massive undertaking in order to get into the door. They're not going to allow me to do that. They're just going to be like, well, which what they told me most of the time. Uh, sorry, it's not going to be a good fit. Or you didn't pass the technical interview in which, you know, you you aced it and and had 15 minutes left to spare. Whatever excuse it is, they'll, they're like, no, it's it's not going to work here. But Right now, I am working for a nonprofit that is incredibly aligned with my uh, mission statement. Um, you know, and so I wake up every day looking forward to you know working on that project. In fact, as soon as I'm done with this interview, I'm going to be working on that project. So um, I guess there is some good news, some light at the end of the tunnel. Um, I doubt I'll ever make the same amount of money as I ever did before. Like I was pulling in a quarter million dollars a year. That was like. Mwah. But um, now I live a life of uh, semi-poverty. But, you know, at least I'm fulfilled and rich in the spirit um, and not wanting to die every single day for selling my soul out to the devil. Dude, it's such a pleasure having you on, man. Thanks for for being real. Thanks for sharing your story, man. And like Joel said earlier, it's a wild story, things that you've experienced, man. And so it's nice to kind of revisit things from a few years ago. Um, because it's, you know, it's pretty wild what's been going on on the censorship front, you know, on all these social media platforms on the internet. I mean, we got deleted off of YouTube last year. Oh, yeah. Uh, really? how, do we, how, do we, how do we reclaim our YouTube account? Yeah, we got deleted. <laughs> How'd you, what, for what? Uh, we got know. three strikes, 5G, no virus, and something else. Oh, okay. Yeah. 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 I don't even know if the, the virus thing came into play. It was random episodes, but yeah, we had... Well, Alex, Alex episode. Alex X was the first one. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. True. Yeah. You had Alex X on your podcast? We've had him on a couple times. He's... Yeah, yeah. Hmm. yeah. So. Yeah, so, yeah, well. Yeah, it's like, it's like, what do we do about it, right? Um, mm. Oh, and by the way, China's scraping all of our information. FYI. Like, 
You can download any content off of YouTube with YTDLP as a program. China's scra scraping all that. So, um, and it's so funny that they censor and scrape at the same time um, or allow their system to be scraped. Do you, do you think truth is a trigger word for the algorithm? Yeah, it has to be. Yeah. Well, I mean, I, I've been saying that from day one, you know, the name of our <laughs> podcast, like even on, on Instagram, you know, we'll, we'll get all these follows because people will share something. But then when we do post something, we don't get the same, we don't get the same level of engagement, even on Facebook, when we share, you know, cl clips, reels, uh, our episodes, when they come out, it gets nothing. Right. So, I mean, not nothing, but just compared to other things, you know, me hanging well, out like, with my chickens. Look at Lex Friedman. He just yeah. came out of nowhere and now he's like everywhere. You can't even unsubscribe to him. Like they just force him into your feed, right? The whole thing's just like rigged. People that are speaking truth that aren't part of the inside group, let's gently push them to the margins, which is what's happening with you guys. Yeah. yeah. I mean, I think we do, we do pretty good considering, you know, how, you know, yeah. The, the, the topics that we touch on for sure and like you know our downloads pretty much double every six months at this point you know everything's housed on our website privately now so oh congratulations thanks yeah Thank it's all, all word of mouth you know and, and sharing so it's it's been good man people are hungry for different types of conversations and we like to think we try to stay a little too grounded and you know not get too super crazy out there but we, we're down to to explore things that maybe other people aren't and uh you know i come from the health side of things uh, so that's been my my area of expertise for for you know almost two decades now, and uh, it's pretty interesting just to see like different people and what's their entry point to really starting to question like maybe the things I was taught in school, maybe the things the TVs tell me, maybe the things my doctors tell me, um, is based on a lie or misinformation yeah. or ignorance. Yeah, it is. And then the thing is that they're going to poison you, and then they're going to take all your money as you're going out. Sick. Mm -hmm. It's wild, man. But and again, at the same time, what do we have control over? You know, our minds, our psyches to the best of our, our ability. Let's like find our gift, give our gift, be as healthy as we can, connect with like minded people and then see what happens. You know, we can control what we control. There's a lot of things out of our control. So it's kind of that that balance of like, obviously not sticking your head in the sand and thinking everything's beautiful and amazing, but also not getting lost in like you know, the world's going to end and what's the point of going on, you know? So it's, it's right. an interesting play, you know, and each person has to decide for themselves um, how they do that dance. Right. Like you can either look at this as like, oh, it's really bad. Everything's awful. Or be like, this is the most happening time of all lifetimes. Like literally the birth of AI, the last invention that humankind has ever made is happened in our lifetime. And you get to see the transformation that's going to take place. Like in, like, in comparison, um, every other age of mankind will be boring compared to the one that you guys are going to experience. Yeah, very, 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 very true, man. Um, Zach, like, where would you just like to, in closing, I guess, direct our audience, you know, it's easy to your website. How can they, I guess, support you if they feel that way inclined? Yeah, if you want to see Google Leaks, then go to my website, zachvorhees.com. Uh, if you want to get more Intel drops, follow me on Twitter dot com slash perpetual maniac um and um you know if you like if you want to find videos that have been censored uh, i do have my own video platform called blast.video it's actually an aggregator so you don't actually upload video to it it scrapes everyone else's content but um it gets around the censorship you'll love it blast.video awesome man zach pleasure to host you 
Appreciate this conversation. And to everyone listening, we'll see you next time. Take care. Smoking mirrors, I'm seeing through the illusion. Waking up in a time, they think you're in a delusion. Somebody set the alarms, cause they be too busy snoozing. I'm in a DeLorean. Fast forward in evolution to a place where we can share our confusions. Yeah, 450 BC, I'm sharing tea with confusion.